I want to share an extraordinary journey with you. Just before COVID-19 changed the world, I visited Australia and discovered that there's really no other country quite like it. There's something truly unique that links Aussies together, a shared spirit and attitude that's created their lifestyle. Beyond the beaches and barbecues, Australia is a land rich in culture, innovation and opportunity. Once travel becomes a reality again, it needs to be experienced to be fully understood. And I promise you, it's a place that will stay with you long after your visit. Join me as I explore. Australia, a country envied for its warm climate, beach-going lifestyle and world-class food and wine. It's a land of dramatic landscapes, from the bright copper hue of the red centre, to the white sand and turquoise waters of its endless beaches, to the rainbow of piercing colours found in its native flora. It offers cosmopolitan cities, relaxed coastal towns and outback communities, where you can take yourself away from it all and be a hundred miles from anyone else. The rare privilege of a true escape. I'm Georgina Godwin, and for this series, Only in Australia, I visited every corner of Australia to explore the unique nature of Australian luxury travel and to meet some of the country's creative entrepreneurs and ecotourism pioneers. In this episode, I'm sampling Australia's fine drinking and dining. Unrestrained by centuries-old culinary tradition, food and wine have always moved forward here, with creativity applauded and food fusion enlivened by some of the world's best fresh produce and purest growing conditions. Whilst always looking forward, Australian masterchefs also increasingly draw inspiration from the past through modern takes on the historic food wisdom and practices of Aboriginal Australians. I'll go foraging on the beach. Most people look at that and go, OK, there's not much here, but we'll go over and have a look. There's some little purple flowers over there, um, a beach mustard, and then we've got some bower spinach or, or june spinach as well. So we'll collect some of those little succulents. I'll meet a woman who's established a whole network of fresh produce growers. I have had the privilege and the opportunity to meet some of the best in Australia, and they will be people that I will seek out. So it's about knowing what is really, really great out there and how it's produced and grown and the integrity behind it, the genuineness behind it. And visit a vineyard with a very bizarre added extra. And if you're looking straight at the building, the Darrenburg Cube, we can see a reverse perspective art piece. I want you to walk in as if you're drunk, going from side to side, and, and then uh, keep your eyes on it, and because something really weird happens. So walk sideways, see, now keep your eyes on here, and then you notice how suddenly the front becomes the back, and actually at that point when that happens, you get a little bit dizzy, which, so not only did you look drunk, you actually felt drunk as well before you've even got a glass of wine in here, that's the idea. Where else can you choose from over 11,000 beaches? explore the world's largest living organism, or get up close to kangaroos and quokkas. This is Only in Australia. An hour out of Melbourne, there's a town that's thrived from the vision of one person. 
She is Alla Wolf-Tasker. Her Russian immigrant parents bought a little Dhaka in Dalesford, about an hour out of Melbourne. At the time, nobody had really heard of the area, and Alla grew up growing, cooking and foraging there every holiday, eventually turning it into her profession as she went off to train as a chef in France. Returning to Australia, she turned her new skill into a business, and today the restaurant she founded nearly 40 years ago alongside her artist husband Alan is now the luxury Lake House in Dalesford, a hotel, a spa, an award-winning restaurant and a farm. We're sitting in the waterfront pavilion, which is the lower level of dining at Lake House, and it's in a large room, which will take anything from... We've had groups of six, eight, up to 40, 44 here, but a large wall, expanse of windows round two walls overlooking across the small lagoon, which is immediately below Lake House, so over the lavender hedge, the paving, to the small lagoon and then to the wider lake, which actually goes right around there and then under the bridge to the other side and then does a big U-shape. But you can see the path that actually travels around the whole lake here. But it's very much... The far trees are the Wombat State Forest and the closer trees are a lot of the um, deciduous trees that were originally planted by early settlers around here. And I was one of those (laughs) because the two giant Yunans I planted, most of the large trees on the property I planted, but of course being deciduous, they're all bare at the moment. But we've got a bit of sun coming through, so it's a sort of a a sunny, wintry day. But it is a rather nice view, I think. To the right on one of the lower decks are two giant stringy barks. And they, I know exactly how old they are because I was heavily pregnant with my daughter. So they would be 38 years old. And I, yes... There were two tiny tubers bought at a school at a school fete. We didn't have much money for planting out the garden in those days. And I could remember planting those because my Russian mother was running around saying, Boja moi, oh my God, you know, and, and praying to all the saints because she thought I'd lose the baby because I was carrying big heavy buckets of water to water these two tiny little plants and what giants they are now. And they're a perfect place for cockatoos and gangangs and galahs to, to rest in over the day and they swoop over the lake beautifully at sunset and the lagoon deck which is on the roof above us is a beautiful place for cocktails in the evening. I'm a happy lady, it's a beautiful place. In order to serve the freshest food possible, Alla encouraged her neighbours to grow produce and the result is that the town is now an artisanal haven, a creative hub with a diverse community who live close to the land and work with each other to grow, prepare and serve a burgeoning tourist market attracted to Dalesford by the extraordinary cuisine and the environmental sensibilities. One cares about one's carbon footprint, one cares about sustainable practices and sustainability writ large. It's sustainability of your staff, sustainability of yourself, sustainability of your guests and your footprint as well. So all of that comes into play in terms of what we do here. So I call it more sustainable luxury, which doesn't mean that you've got to live in a yurt, you know, you you can be comfortable But I think luxury increasingly for people means something that has, uh, that isn't really replicable anywhere else. I mean, when you're here, you get a strong sense of being part of the village community here because you will often see people here who are local craftsmen working on something. We have local sculpture, we have local paintings. 
certainly the produce is from within a few kilometres of here or from our own farm. So the produce we know, the producers we know, and the experiences that we we try to deliver to our guests are also about luxury because it's that single experience, that conversation with a local winemaker or a local producer or even the farmer who's bringing the produce in through the door in the morning. I mean, I often see guests stop and have a chat about what's in the box and what have you got and, and tell us about it. And, of course, you have a reputation for serving some of the finest food in Australia. Tell us about your menu. It's about knowing what is really, really great out there and how it's produced and grown and the integrity behind it, the genuineness behind it and the honesty and the passion behind it as well as using a vast amount of local produce. So obviously all the fresh produce, the grown produce would come around here. 97% of the fruit and vegetables, well the vegetables and the herbs at the moment are coming from our farm and the rest, a lot of it comes from small local suppliers that we know around here. Alla's waiting staff told me all about the wine and food pairings. So it's a sake from uh, Nara, outside of Kyoto in Japan. A Junmai Omachi sake. Uh, the Junmai is a classification with regards to the polish of the rice grain, and the Omachi is the variety of rice used. The reason we've chosen this, it's got some nice umami notes, a little bit of citrus, and match nicely with the kingfish. So this is the first wine of... Eight, I think it's going to be in total. And this is going with the Hiramasa Kingfish and White Kimchi. Tomboy Hill, Ballarat. This is a Chardonnay Vintage 2016. A great example of what's being done with Ballarat uh, terroir. Uh, mild climate and uh, rather heavy rainfalls. They produce grapes of great concentration. And this is all hand-picked, uh, rather small production. And it produces wines that are um, mostly uh, mineral, but this one has gone through a little bit of uh, French and um, old and new oak, uh, a little bit of buttery, a little bit of richness on the palate and uh, subtle acidity through it. And that goes with? This is for the lightly cured and confit ocean trout, uh, which we serve with a beurre concalaise and a house smoked roe. And the gorgeous waiter even allowed me a mild flirt. How does a French boy end up in rural Australia? Oh, it's the, the French mafia in high-end hospitality. <laughs> you always find a Frenchman in the, when, when there's good food, there's a Frenchman. Lake House is all about personalisation. The guests and the staff have an easy relationship. It's very much about the face-to-face relationship, as Alla confirmed. It's something that I've encouraged with my staff, my team as well. You know, I'll see guests going for a walk and stopping to chat to the gardener and ask, you know, what are you doing there? And then there's a conversation and then there's a conversation that says, have you tried the pub down the road on Thursday nights? It's really, really good. You know, it's about stories and creating linkages and making people feel comfortable about digging beneath the surface of the village and the local community and what Lake House is as well. And, I mean, I feel comfortable that we really do have a strong sense of place here now after 36 years. One would think so, right? I think the food industry is is full of passionate individuals and the wine industry, absolutely, definitely, to the point where, you know, people are now winning major international prizes and have been for some time for Australian wine. And in this area, I mean, it's cool climate, but we've got some particularly brilliant brands around here, Curly Flat, 
Granite Hills. We've got Bindi, small boutique, hard to get. We've been working with local winemakers for ages. It was important for us to have what we call our lake house house wine, but to have it at absolutely top quality. So we chose particular winemakers to make that wine that we would brand with actually Alan's beautiful labels on the bottles. But it had to be as good as their best wine. And I think we've delivered that. The food and beverage manager took me down to see the wines. So we're heading down to the cellar, which is, um, you know, the most kept wines here at the lake house and in Victoria, pretty much. <gasps> so beautiful, this long polished table and candles. And then, oh, how many bottles of wine do you think? Uh, we have about just under 15,000 bottles of wine on our wine list with just over 1,200 different wines from all over the world. We're talking about Australia, obviously, New Zealand, America, and a lot from Europe. The local produce is used in creating meals, but some of it's also incorporated into the spa treatments. The treatment we're doing today is the Signature Bliss. It's a full body, dry body brush, followed by a hot oil drizzle all over the body, incorporating some beautiful rhythmic Hawaiian style massage treatments. I will also be incorporating hot stones throughout that as well. And then we'll do a full body lime and ginger salt scrub. And then after that, um, we will wrap you up nice and tightly in a cocoon. We'll do a beautiful facial massage, scalp massage, and then uh, you'll have some time to spend in our hydrostorm shower, which is uh, right there. Before leaving Dalesford, I thought I'd get a taste of what might be in store for me on the rest of my Australian adventure. Welcome to your tarot reading. I'll get you to take the cards in your hands and hold them between your palms. Close your eyes, take a breath, and just reflect on your life. And when you're ready, give them a big shuffle and we'll look into what they have to say to you. So it looks like you're going on a journey and things will be changing for you. Things certainly were about to change for me. There could hardly be more of a contrast between the very practical Ala Wolf Tasker and Chester Osborne, a fourth-generation winemaker from the rather eccentric Darrenberg in McLarenvale, South Australia. So we are in the Darrenberg Cube in McLaren Vale, which is a giant toy sitting inside the vineyard, five stories high, represented by the fact that our label names are such a puzzle to work out, wine is such a puzzle to work out, right, what's the most iconic puzzle, a Rubik's Cube, but instead of colours I changed them to puzzles on the outside so it's harder, and I've twisted stories around and blocks are pulled up and out, and one's fallen out in the car park as well. One should say that this is this incredible modernist building, which you designed yourself, which has won awards. Yeah, yes, it was 15 years ago I presented a model of this to the board and they thought I was crazy, but we got there eventually. We won lots of design awards, including the best facade in 2018 in Australia. It was a whole new design of glass, white seals and whatever. And, but yeah, many, many other design awards and the restaurant has also won lots of awards. It's the best restaurant in South Australia and best regional restaurant in Australia now. But you do all this whilst actually being incredibly hands-on as a winemaker. Yes, I taste every vineyard, decide when it's picked. I taste every ferment, decide when to take it off skins and also taste every barrel, which are 10,000 barrels and do all the blends. So quite busy in that area, but I wouldn't give that up for anything. 
So anybody coming here, what are they doing? They're coming here obviously to taste the wine, they can do that. They're here to explore this incredible building with its really quirky artworks, most of them done by you or Salvador Dali. <laughs> They're also here to taste the food, as you say, one of the best restaurants in the country. Yeah, the restaurant is uh, magical. Everyone walks out here like it's the best place they've ever been to. It's very surreal and things are not what they seem, quite Heston Blumenthal-like. And then we do beautiful wine matching where you can have a Darenberg versus a European wine at the same time and to, as for quite a bit of fun. But there's a lot of other experiences as well. You can blend your own version of the Dead Arm, one of our most popular wines, using different parcels and uh, get a certificate to say you're a winemaker. And in terms of the food, I mean, I know there's one dish that's actually from a 3D printer. Yes, we're the first restaurant in the Southern Hemisphere to be selling uh, 3D printed food. So we do a lemon meringue pie that has been deconstructed and uh, has two elements that are 3D printed, the meringue part and the uh, white chocolate part. In terms of the wine itself, it has some fabulous names. Oh, yeah, we've got uh, 76 different wines made from 37 grape varieties. And we have wines like the Dead Arm, the Senosilicophobic Cat, which is the fear of an empty glass, which we suffer from in this industry. The Arthur Zagoraphobic Cat, another cat wine, but this one's a fear of being forgotten. And there's quirky names like Apotropic Triscadiophobia. Triscadiophobia being the fear of number 13, comes from 13 acres. Apotropic being the warding off of evil. By drinking this bottle, you'll ward off the fact that it's it's actually 13 acres and you'll forget and you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> Chester, we've been talking a lot about luxury during this series and I wonder what you feel the ultimate luxury is for you and for anybody visiting here. Just the building for a start. People, when they've seen pictures, go, oh, yeah, I thought it was going to be good. But when they see it in real life, they realise how amazing the the curves and the, the way everything moves and, and the way it sits and it floats in the middle of the vines when the light is the right way around because it's all mirrors that are set back in. They don't realise that there are seven rooms down there in the bottom area, the Alternate Realities Museum we call it, where everything is has these different realities and the 360 degree video room where there's a 30 to 40 second video of each of our label names which is quite challenging and interesting. There's over a hundred art pieces everywhere so people People find it quite intense and often say to me that I really need to go back and, and be a, maybe in a very good frame of mind to absorb uh, another 10% more. I just can't stress how extraordinary it is. Every single corner is filled with something unique and frankly on that note I need a drink. <laughs> Chester walked me through the Darenberg Cube. So that's the sound for the fines, basically. So there's a little weather station just over here, and we're measuring eight parameters of weather, and it's coming out as real sound, as the real whatever the environment is right now, which is quite cold and dark and uh, quite a stiff breeze. So it's a sort of gruesome sound right now, quite eerie. It's, when the sun comes out, it has a lot more happiness. <laughs> and actually, as the rain comes, there's another little background sound, which maybe is a, one of those little drops you can just hear there. And if you're looking straight at the building, the Darenberg Cube, we can see a reverse perspective art piece where we can see the fermenters and basket press and whatever. And as we walk in, I want you to walk in as if you're drunk, going from side to side. And, and then uh, keep your eyes on it. And because something really weird happens. So, so follow me and, 
So walk sideways. See now. Keep your eyes on here. And then you notice how suddenly the front becomes the back. And actually at that point when that happens, you get a little bit dizzy. Which So not only did you look drunk, you actually felt drunk as well before you've even got a glass of wine in here. That's the idea. Mind you, I have just come straight from lunch. <laughs> oh, you're the same as me then. <laughs> so this introduces the, the gallery, we call it the museum, the Alternate Realities Museum. Because when you have a glass of wine and I have a glass of wine, we have a different reality depending on what we know in wine, of course. Of course, the whole idea of a, a direct toy in the middle of a vineyard is also an alternate reality and the weather is sound and everything else these gnomes over here told you it was eccentric you can see over here as you walk in there's a giant cow well actually life-size cow standing on his tail with a heap of horns hugging a polygraph so this is to represent our viticulture uh, because we are organic and biodynamic we're the largest biodynamic grower in australia and biodynamics was started by rudolf steiner in 1929 and he didn't really use any science behind it so i've got a polygraph here lie detected to uh, mention that he just came up with it maybe he lies and we've got things on the top like in insecticides and, and Roundup and whatever that we don't do and fertilisers and so on. It doesn't stop there. Paying homage to the four generations. So my great-grandfather bought the vineyard in 1912. So he's actually up here in the part that's not finished, tending the vines. My grandfather built the winery in 1927. So here he is with the crusher. My father introduced the Red Stripe label in the 1950s. And I introduced loud shirts. That's my contribution to Darenberg. <laughs> and there's more. If you look down the corridor, you can see a, a picture of myself dressed up as Willy Wonka. It was in all the media back a while ago. And I'd made this with 6,000 little caricatures of our label names. So all, every one of our label names is represented there to make this collage of, of my face, basically. We ended our tour on the roof terrace. So we can see here the sea across to the right-hand side, about seven or eight kilometres away, and the cliffs, well, if it wasn't raining, you'd be able to see the cliffs over there and the bay over there, Eldinga Bay. So we can see all of the southern half of McLaren Vale from this side. We can see all the northern half of the other. So we can pretty much see all of McLaren Vale from here. With my art and wine adventure in McLaren Vale coming to an end, I headed interstate, this time Western Australia and the coastal haven of Dunsborough, around a three hours drive south from the region's capital city, Perth. We have a travelling restaurant called Fervor. We travel all across Australia and we fit everything into this truck which is behind us at the moment. This is actually the very refined version of what we first started with. We uh, had an old four-door Datsun Ute that had done 400,000 kilometres and now we're in a small truck. It's all self-sufficient. We have eight different batteries in there, um, a huge amount of solar panels, everything that we need for a dinner. So all our own water, crockery, glassware, cutlery, tables, chairs, linen, all our cooking equipment, all the food and basically we could drive out 500 kilometres into the desert and, and hold a dinner right there if people would come out. Our focus is on native Australian ingredients, so you won't find lamb, pork, beef, tomatoes, carrots, cauliflower on the menu. It's all kangaroo, emu, marron, honey ants, yolk, kulyu, bloodroot, things like that. And because we travel so far, we'll use what's in that region. We get to a location and majority of the time, the day before, we try and spend a day out on country with the traditional owners to, you know, learn about 
the ingredients, but also about the country that we're on and the stories behind it. Tell me where we are now. So we're just up from Millup Beach in Dunsborough, Western Australia. This is just a, a little, I guess, a quieter beach um, along this stretch. All the way along, you can find nice little gaps to yourself and, and have the beach to yourself. So what we're going to do now is go foraging. Yeah, so, I mean, in Western Australia, you do need a, a licence to harvest native ingredients, and we always ask for permission from traditional owners. So today we'll go along, we'll pick only what we need, but, yeah, there's a lot of coastal herbs along here, and we have some beautiful bushland right behind us and a lot of granite rock. So there's a the whole heap of ingredients here that will just tie into the menu today. So we're walking down now onto the beach and you can just see for miles and miles and miles there are a couple of other people around but it's largely completely to ourselves and then there's just expanse of sparkling blue ocean in front of us. So from here, I mean, a lot of the time people will look and go, all right, well, there's nothing edible. And I used to do it for a long time. I, I grew up surfing and I didn't start cooking until I was in my 20s and I only fell into cooking through surfing but the whole time I've been walking past all these edible foods all these ingredients so for me that's I guess a reason why I tie in the native ingredients and, and foods that are found along the coast because that's where my cooking sort of started. Most people look at that and go okay there's not much here but we'll go over and have a look there's some little purple flowers over there a beach mustard and then we've got some bower spinach or, or june spinach as well so we'll collect some of those little succulents so it looks like nothing to the uneducated eye it's just um the stuff that grows on beaches really <laughs> exactly right and the thing that you have to be mindful of is these plants are you can see there's an abundance of it you look up the beach they're all the way along but they're also serving a purpose they're holding the the sand dunes in place and there are animals that eat these or bees that pollinate the flowers so we're just mindful of of what we do take and when we harvest we always use scissors majority of the time it's only trimming the top of the plant which ends up encouraging it to grow in a way it sometimes can help plants it's almost like a bit of a, a pruning job you won't come back and collect from that plant until next year possibly and that's bang in line with the aboriginal philosophy of only take what you need yeah exactly right we don't waste anything and because we're only serving 30 or 40 people once a week we don't need huge quantities and we we sort of stretch our ingredients out we want to showcase how incredible these ingredients are but how precious and important they are as well so be really respectful to the ingredient and this is something that visitors to australia can experience for themselves i mean you you take them out and give them this incredibly privileged access yeah definitely the great thing about australia and western australia is that there's a lot of different aboriginal cultural tours so we might be cooking these ingredients in a fine dining way but we always recommend doing a cultural tour with Aboriginal people because they're so knowledgeable and the connection that they have with the land is, uh, you know, something that you, you don't see all the time. It's really important. Once we'd foraged for ingredients, we sat down to eat. OK, so this one here, 
We have a crispy salt bush, and all we've done to this is dry it out and then quickly shallow fry it. So basically, you can grab the stalk and eat the leaves off. Oh, delicious! And what's that you're doing? I'm just um, torching it with a, I guess you could say, a flamethrower. So you're chiseling that on the barramundi which you've flamed. Yep. Shall I try it? Yeah, please. Mm. And eat. Some dried and cured emu. So when we do our emu dish, we just trim the tiniest bit off the end and then we cure this with a, a native, um, it's probably about a seven spice mix, dry it out into, it's almost like um, a jerky. And yeah, basically it's just so that nothing goes to waste. This dish is, I guess, based around the beach. This is like a little salsa verde, and we've used June spinach, saltbush, samphire, and then some of the stone crop through it. There's a little bit of chilli in there, and then we use a gelatin wax vinegar as well. And eat. Oh, delicious. This one's um, a hands-on dish. Open the paper bark up, season it to your liking, and then drag the tail through the gubbinge puree and eat it with your hands and um, don't eat the paper bark don't eat the paper bark it is edible it's totally fine to eat but it's just there as a, a cooking vessel and eat while i'm cooking some kangaroo over there this is a little um damper or bread course and finally pudding we've got some muntries here and they're just a bit of cultured cream in the bottom some muntries which are found along, along the coast, down, down in the south of Western Australia. They're almost like a Granny Smith flavoured, so, sort of tart, but these guys have five times the antioxidants as a blueberry. And I mean, a blueberry's renowned worldwide as a health-promoting fruit, so I love these guys. And this is a little uh, ryeberry jube to finish off. I hope you've, <laughs> you're probably, <laughs> probably not going to be able to eat it. As we digested the enormous and completely delicious meal, I asked Paul about doing everything from churning his own butter to making his own salt. We do want to do everything from scratch and we do really want to use the, the best ingredients. We don't like taking shortcuts and logistically that can be a little bit harder, but we believe that the end result is um, well and truly worth it. You've just cooked me the most extraordinary meal. Everything in it natural. There wasn't a man-made thing in there. And we also drank from booze that you've actually produced yourself. Now tell us about that side of the business. We've worked with a few different people in regards to um, helping with um, suggestions on ingredients that go into alcohol. One of them being Beer Farm where we uh, do the, the native series and we've got about six different beers with them now. And also the, the gin from Old Young's, um, the six season gin. This is really about sustainability it's also about mindfulness, I mean, even down to the crockery. Yeah, so the crockery, we have a whole bunch of handmade plates and bowls and slates from a lady. We sat down for a day, um, she learnt about our business and we sort of discussed the ethos. She showed us a whole bunch of plates, colours, textures, designs, and then we worked on that together. She's designed a whole bunch of plates and bowls for us that are unique to Fervor and you know she won't replicate them for anyone else so just going through that whole process of making our crockery is uh, really important. I think that's 
what we're trying to do is give people a really unique experience. So every little detail is considered and we don't want to be just like the restaurant down the road. We want to be doing something totally different. So when you think about that, we just we look at every, every tiny little detail we can. Fervor really is unique, and all those little details add up to one spectacular experience. Join me next time as I continue my Australian journey. I'll be meeting some of Australia's best and brightest tourism minds as they reveal how their visions and ambition have transformed the premium tourism landscape to offer luxury travellers access to experiences, environments, artisanal products and astonishing accommodation. In Canberra, I meet a man who's gone from gynaecologist to gynaecologist. My background's uh, medical background. I'm an ONG specialist. I work in fertility medicine and deliver babies. And I started distilling in 2016 as I turned a hobby into a business. And I jump on a helicopter over the Great Barrier Reef and rainforests of Queensland to look at how a mining village has been transformed into a luxury retreat. We're currently at Mount Mulligan Lodge. We're on 28,000 hectares. Um, We also have four pavilions, which houses eight rooms, our main pavilion and our pool and our recreational area. We have a helicopter once a day. That's how our guests arrive. Uh, They fly in and fly out. So it's a pretty spectacular trip. My name's Georgina Godwin, and thank you for listening to Only in Australia. This podcast was brought to you in partnership with Tourism Australia. To find out more about some of the luxury experiences I've mentioned, head to australia.com.